One of my favorite scenes in the movie Zootopia is when the main character, a bunny police officer, and her associate, a fox, go to the town's Department of Motor Vehicles to look up a license plate. All of the employees of the DMV are also animals, and get this, they're sloths. They move around and talk with a slowness that is at the same time painful and hilarious. That's because virtually all adults have had to interact with what we call bureaucracy, and it has this negative connotation. But is that bad rap totally deserved? Might there be some value in some bureaucracy? In this episode, we explore. Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. Yeah, so bureaucracy, is it bad? <laughs> Good? What? I mean, we're going to talk about that today. And anybody that hears that word bureaucracy immediately has a visual emotional response. You can either see their their shoulders hunch back and tighten. Maybe they vomit a little bit in their mouth. I don't, I don't know what it is. Ew. It does have a bad rap, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what bureaucracy even is and why it has this negative connotation, perhaps. And we're also going to look at what might good bureaucracy look like. And maybe, hey, is that even a thing? And then we'll talk about some implications for people, leaders, and organizations. Yeah. So let, well, let's just start off at the top. You know, what is bureaucracy? We need some kind of good definition because, you know, what is it? And Harry Potter, you know, the trolls keeping the bank alive. You know, that's kind of the image. You got a bunch of curmudgeons stuck in a no a windowless cubicle farm making people's lives miserable. But that well, doesn't really tell us what yeah, it is. But that is what we oftentimes think of think about when we think about bureaucracy, right? We think about these kind of uh rigid administrative systems that are um you know you can't change them. It's full of what we call red tape. Uh getting something done takes forever. They're you're gonna in, wait in a line. Gonna, oh, you're yes, gonna wait lines. in a line. DMV, right? Everybody's right. like, oh the DMV. That's right. That's right. So we it really has this kind of negative connotation. And that is what we oftentimes think about. We oftentimes use that word bureaucracy or bureaucratic in a way that's kind of pejorative, where we're saying that something's wrong with an organization if it has this bureaucracy. But let's, like you mentioned, get back to the basics and kind of describe what even is a bureaucracy. And, you know, there's there's really great um, research on this and a thought and, you know, comes from really organizational sociology uh, way back when, you know, Max Weber, he was a German sociologist, sociologist um, lived from 1864 to 1920. He uh, was kind of a pioneer in this area. Uh, we also came back, came across a really nice um, set of, of characteristics um, that were summarized in an article by Fritz Sager and Christian Rosser of the University of Bern. This was in the Public Administration Review. There's a bunch of uh, stuff in the in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. Um, and and what they say is that in some Weberian bureaucracy, just referring to Max Weber, consists of a hierarchically structured, professional, rule-bound, impersonal, meritocratic, appointed, and disciplined body of what they, and they they say public servants with a specific set of competencies. So it has these different characteristics, right? These different things that we can point to and say, that's bureaucracy. Okay, having some structure, having professional types of uh, um, occupational specialties, perhaps, and having different rules and procedures, having meritocracy, the idea that people get in their positions based upon their capabilities, not based upon their ancestry, right? That's even part of bureaucracy. Right. And a lot of people wish at their companies that... Hey, I wish I would get promoted, but that guy got promoted because he really kisses the rear ends of the people that are higher up, right? Mm -hmm. And well, being meritocratic is part of the definition of bureaucracy, actually, <laughs> right? And 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 the idea of professional having like being trained, like hospitals are professional organizations. The doctors, uh, the nurses know how the doctors are trained and what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. The doctors know what the nurses are trained in and what they're supposed to do. And the charting people and the reception and all that kind of stuff. And the key point is a specific set of competencies. Bureaucracies don't grow up in places where specific repeatable things 
don't need to be done. A bureaucracy <laughs> would be horrible to where like, well, every day it's a completely different challenge of which we have no idea to address. You wouldn't set up a, a bureaucracy to respond in that kind of environment, right? Right, right. And what's interesting is oftentimes, you know, we we want our organizations to be efficient. We want them to be effective. And here's the thing. Bureaucracy, the ideas in a bureaucratic system are ones that are actually geared toward efficiency and effectiveness. And a lot of people are like, wait, what is, wait a second, you know, um, bureaucracies are just about red tape, aren't they? Well, not necessarily. Um, when Max Weber first came up with these ideas, it was about how do we create efficient administrative systems for getting things, things done that aren't based upon patronage and feudalism. Those were some of the big ideas that he was wrestling with. That's right. You know, oh, well, he got the job because he's the son of the king. Makes sense. <laughs> you know, like these kinds of things. We used to do things this way or, oh, I wanted his job. So I killed him with a sword in the back 40. Um, you know, the, we're trying to do better than being a bunch of numbskull Neanderthals here. If you guys don't know who Max Weber is, you should check him out for people who like to nerd out on stuff. Go read any of his stuff. It's great. And just to put it this in context, he's a German sociologist, and he was born in 1864 and died in 1920. So we think that, wow, the older guys, the older generations, what did they know? You know, <laughs> look, and at some point you were, you know, beating people over the head with clubs and dragging them back to the cave to be part of your tribe or whatever. You know, they actually, people have been thinking about this kind of stuff and the annoyance of working together. <laughs> right. Because you're like, yeah, you know, some people are like, oh, man, this this uh, social distancing is so great. I don't have to deal with the annoyance of working with other people. Um, that's how to do that better and optimize that is something that has beguiled and intrigued people for a long time. And a lot of people have done a lot of quality thinking about this stuff, even in the 1800s. That's a great point. Great point. And since then, the thought around bureaucracies has kind of evolved in two ways. One being, you know, that these are rational organizations. It really is the epitome of effectiveness to have this division of labor and rules and hierarchy and professionalism so that everything works well. And then the other way to think about it is that it's more about the use of power to control people. It's this iron cage of of organization that we put people into. Uh, and, you know, I think we oftentimes think of bureaucracies just as kind of government institutions. Um, and certainly there are many elements of bureaucracy in government. However, the reality is most of us work in a bureaucracy in some way, shape or form, don't we? Yeah. Absolutely. And just to put a context when they say ways, two ways to think about bureaucracy is one, a rational organization, like a rational organization has repeatable processes and results. Mm -hmm. You can get in there and it's like, you know, you know, what if you went into a place and one day there's like a clown juggling flaming torches through the dining room hall and your your boss comes into work without any pants. And then the next day, everybody's wearing tuxedos with you know, those football black makeups under their eyes, you, you would say, what? You probably wouldn't come back for day three of that stuff. You know, you ate some bad red rope licorice at, you know, Woodstock. So, so the deal is you want a rational organization because why are we so nervous in the first couple of days when we go into a place, yeah, a new because job? Because of all, all of that uncertainty, all of that ambiguity. We don't we, really like that as humans. Right. And and so very quickly, that's why we part of the onboarding process. All right, Ben, come on. I'm going to show you how rationally we operate around here. Mm -hmm. And then as you learn the rules of the road, you feel good. All right. And the second one, the use of power to control people. Now, that, at first glance, you're like, oh, my God. You know, that's where you think of the thing of the man. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, the man is over there doing the man annoyance things. Yeah, and, but, and I think there is a, there is some validity in, in thinking about organizations in terms of their coercive power and control over people. However, proceed. Yes, yes. Yeah, well said, Ben. But here's the thing that I've seen in lots of organizations that are beginning their, what I want to call, maturity growth mm -hmm. is... You know, they've got, you know, Tim or Francis, they come on in. 
they spend 30 minutes at the coffee machine. It's a Keurig. It makes a take cup of coffee in a minute. But no, they spend like 30 minutes there stirring the cream. And they go in and their poor exacerbated boss is like, hey, can you get to those TPS reports? <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, sure. After I go talk to Karen down the road and find out how our new puppy is. And I've been in places where I just sit and watch, you know, as a consultant, you, you set up in a cube somewhere and you just watch and you're like, wow, that person maybe works an hour and a half out of, out of an eight hour workday. <laughs> right. And, but let's be honest, sometimes in places like when I worked at Dell computers in the call center, they would keep, you know, let's say you needed to go to the bathroom or something. You had only a certain amount of minutes to do that. And then someday, maybe you're, some days, maybe you're a little bit uh, hungover or feeling sick or, or whatever. You just weren't Johnny on the spot as, as you were. And so at that point, you can chafe at those metrics. But in places where there are no metrics, you know, the yeah. use of which is the use metrics are kind of the use of power to control people, because if you don't hit those metrics, you'll get counsel, counsel, toast you out of there. Right. Mm hmm. Actually, some of those metrics, if we're honest with ourselves, like Ben, you you keep a regimen of how you work out, right? Yeah. 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 Without the metrics, we don't control ourselves and we just devolve into extra right. Keurig um, time. Yeah. I mean, this, so this is a, an old saying that we have in uh, in the Navy that you you get what you inspect, not what you expect, right? And yeah, you could kind of see this as being a nefarious, sinister ploy to control people. But at the, at the same time, you, you have to have some way of monitoring what's happening. And, you know, even if it's just to monitor yourself, you know, so um, it was actually funny. I went to a doctor's appointment today and the doctor, uh, we were just talking about, you know, my general lifestyle and so forth. And I had some very specific metrics about kind of about myself because I actually have an Excel spreadsheet that I've kept now for four and three and a half years on my own personal habits of uh, exercise and whatnot. It was You're pretty looking funny. You're looking like a total weenie right now, but that's okay. Go but, with it. Yeah, yeah it <laughs> was funny. It, no, no, so I, I gave him like an estimated amount of alcohol that I drink per week by, to the decimal point. And um, it was it was a point of humor, but anyway, um, you know, having having some structure is important, right? Uh, and believe it or not, you know, even if you, regardless of of your organizational kind of size and so forth, there are elements of that that do have some of this this bureaucracy because we have to have some division of labor at at some level. And yes, unless you're just a, a sole proprietor doing everything yourself. Um, once you start to expand the human organization, things become more complex and you have to start, um, you know, dividing up jobs. And the risk you have if you don't is that you won't capitalize on people's unique abilities. So there's actually kind of a, a bit of elegance and beauty in the idea of division of labor, right? Um, having this ability to capitalize on specific unique skills of people and actually bureaucracy can help us do that sometimes. Yeah, and this idea of power control people, you know, a lot of the agilists and people that come into the agile project ma management movement want to just, oh, we scoff at that. We're self-organizing. Mm -hmm. Well, so now rather than somebody at the top planning your bureaucracy, you're having a cohort of people agreeing on what that bureaucracy should look like. Ben, you owe me that report by Tuesday at two because I have to do this piece. You are creating your own bureaucracy mm -hmm. it exists everywhere and yes we chafe at it because sometimes you know what you just can't i don't know ben have you ever gone into work one day and just say like gosh i just cannot get my noggin in the game i'm never. thinking about everything no well i for that's you i believe never it. happened mr 200 milliliters of alcohol on last thursday the fourth or whatever <laughs> 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 but but this is a thing and so like people who in our country and our society that, and, and I've met some of these guys, some of them identify as say libertarians or something say, throw it all out, complete freedom. Mm. But eventually they're like, oh man, maybe we do need a speed limit. And so they come together <laughs> and you'll find out that most of the times, lots of the times they'll reinvent the same bureaucracy that they burn to the ground and throw out. And so I would encourage our listeners that are really anti, do a little heart check. Is this just your yeah. inner chimpanzee throwing some feces because you just don't like to be focused one day? 
Maybe well, it is, maybe but you can't is. get rid of all the rules, right? right? And, you know, I've oftentimes heard it said, and this is kind of referring to political thought, but sometimes people say, well, you know, we should have, you know, we have the Statue of Liberty, but it needs to be balanced by the Statue of Responsibility. And I, I think that the same thing applies in our organizations. There's this balance that we have to seek and continually hone between complete autonomy and having structure. So that's a little bit about what we're talking about here. You know, if we look at any organization, there, there, there's a lot of bureaucracy. You have functional divisions, for example. You have the IT folks. You have the HR folks. You have the accounting and finance, the ops, the sales, whatever, all these different parts of the organization that are bureaucratic in terms of them being specialized areas of expertise. And there are benefits to that. Now, are there drawbacks? Yeah, um, you can very easily start to get these, you know, silos in the organization. So, you know, where maybe one department's not talking to another and all those types of things, but it is prevalent and there is a reason for it. Um, it, it can be helpful. Ben, we got a great quote here from one of our articles. So in the literature dealing with bureaucracy, we can often discern a continual shift between two points of view. The first point of view defines bureaucracy mainly as a tool or a mechanism created for the successful and efficient implementation of certain goal or goals. Bureaucracy is seen as the epitome of rationality, right? This is kind of the in-depth of the rational organization and of efficient implementation of goals and provisions of service. Now, if you go to the DMV, you're not, nobody's mad about somebody that's issuing licenses. You're just mad that we have to wait in line, right? That right. would be an inefficient use of that stuff. So yeah, inefficient bureaucracies stink because the definition of a bureaucracy being like good, which we'll get into here in a minute, is that it's efficient. So now the second one, right? So the second point of view sees bureaucracy mainly as an instrument of power, dum, 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 <laughs> right? Of exercising control over people and over different spheres of life and of continuous expansion of such power, either in the interest of the bureaucracy itself, well, we're just going to do it because we do it, right? Or in the interest of some often sinister masters. And this is where <laughs> we see, you know, a lot of the conspiracy thinking, right, gets fed into this. So this point of view tends mainly to stress the process of bureaucratization. How do you say that word, Ben? Bureaucratization. There you go. So, <laughs> oh, or i.e. the extension of power of a bureaucratic organization over many areas beyond its initial purpose. So, you know, and we'll just stop there. It's like the idea that once you set up some rules for the road and something goes, that it's just going to eat everything. But when was the last time you ever heard somebody say to you at a job, oh my gosh, last night was horrible. Steve, what was it, man? I just woke up and imagined the DMV took over everything. <laughs> They're at the bowling alley, at the grocery store. Well, well, and here's the thing. Even the criticisms of the DMV are somewhat unfounded. I, I mean, I I have had, you know, maybe if I think back, you know, a couple decades ago, some experiences of getting my driver's license renewed took a while. But in recent years, they've actually been extremely painless and easy and 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 everything just, just seamless, right? So um, I think we oftentimes give them this bad rap but it's not necessarily the case. And by the way, again, you know, so that quote was from an article in Administrative Science Quarterly, um, actually back from 1959. So people have been looking at this for quite a while, and there's a link to that in the show notes. Um, you know, so can bureaucracy be bad? Sure it can. You know, without care, without monitoring what's going on, without being self-critical in our organizations, we can turn our businesses, our nonprofits, our government agencies into these static machines that can't be changed. And that's not good either for the people within the organization or for what the organization is trying to accomplish. But there is, uh, we take the point of view, there is this idea of maybe a good bureaucracy and maybe what that might look like. So why don't we move on to talk a little bit about what a good bureaucracy might look like? Yeah, so springboarding into that, I just want to say that there's a little bit of black and white stinking thinking going on here, right? Mm. The idea, good bureaucracy means everybody's fully satisfied and everything is perfect. Now, any organization made up of humans, you know, this side of the Borg takeover, right, is never going to be that, right? It, it's mm -hmm. just never. And think about any relationship you had. You know, if only my spouse was 
maybe a little bit more clean, or maybe my spouse was like, you know, ate less Twinkies at 11 p.m. or, you know, whatever it is, right? Um, <laughs> I know that Twinkies are awesome, let me say. So <laughs> the, the thing is, there is not an idea of perfection here. And so it's so easy to, what do they call it? Armchair quarterback, this yeah. kind of thing, without getting your own dog in the fight here. That's right. Well, and the truth is that, you know, um, bureaucracies do a lot around the world. <laughs> they really do. So here's another quote. This comes from an article in the American Economic Review. Back in 1965, um, Anthony Downs wrote, it is ironic that bureaucracy is still primarily a, a term of scorn, even though bureaus are among the most important institutions in every nation in the world. Not only do bureaus provide employment for a very significant fraction of the world's population, probably over 18% of the U.S. workforce, for example, but they also make critical decisions which shape the economic, political, social, and even moral lives of nearly everyone on Earth. So, you know, if we throw out this idea of bureaucracy, then we really are discounting and ignoring an enormous facet of our lives. These organizations that we interact with, maybe we work in, that do things that matter in our lives. Yeah, the, this is how we organize as nation states, right? Like a long time ago, we organized as little tribes of people. Then we created feudal states. Then, you know, we moved to the nation state, right? That got, I mean, these are, nation states can do awesome, awesome things. You don't, a tribe out in the middle of the woods doesn't build a space program, guys. That Like, you don't get, you know, Neil Armstrong or any of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, these are the ways of organizing larger and larger. Now, everybody, all of us can organize better now than a tribe. Most of us could organize better than a feudal state. So let's, for goodness sake, let's not move backwards. But mm -hmm. with these large ways of organizing, be they enterprise level organizations, um, nation state level, like, hey, we have to have an FBI, right? And that's a bureau of bureaucracy of investigation, right? They have to have these things. Wait, we're not going backwards to the feudal state. These bigger ways of organizing are going to continue to improve themselves. Well, and what's interesting is that oftentimes when people talk about bureaucracy and when they talk about bureaucracy as a bad thing, they oftentimes imply either directly or indirectly that progress means de-bureaucratization, right? taking away these layers, breaking down the silos, having flatter organizations where there are fewer layers between, you know, people down at the bottom of the org chart and the people at the top and those types of things. And I, I just don't think that that's a, a it's not that's not the what's what's actually going on. Right. You do see some organizations that are moving towards having flatter structures and things like that. And that that's, that's fine if that fits the organization's context. But it's not necessarily a sign of progress. In fact, I've talked to a lot of people who uh, work in those types of organizations that are very flat, that don't have a whole lot of structure, and they're miserable because they don't know the rules of the game. They don't know who's supposed to do what. There's so much role confusion that it's hard to get things done. And so you came up with this idea, and I think it's a really good one. When we think about bureaucracy as potentially being good, right, this idea that we can have structure in our organizations, that we have division of labor, that we you know have some professionalism and, and professionalization of our different roles, those types of ideas. Um, this idea of a, the minimum viable bureaucracy, I think that's a great way to think about this, the minimum viable bureaucracy. Yeah. That, how much bureaucracy do you want? Uh, as little as possible, but no less than that, right? That right? you have to have certain things about getting along. And here's the deal. It's cutting the pie. Right. So one of the people often ask, you know, well, I just want to overthrow the government and start a whole new nation. Well, governments, even corrupt governments overseas are really hard to do that because the relationships and everything is interrelated. And so it has to become so miserable. So in order to, for a government to you know, have a coup or something, it has to become so miserable for enough people that they're willing to roll the dice on new power arrangements on the other side. So, which means you're going to mm -hmm. have to have some people with money, you know, like, here we go. How to, 
Indigo podcast, how to do a revolution right. Oh, right? goodness. So, so listen, <laughs> no. <laughs> the people with power and money are going to have to be with you. And then there's going to have to be enough of the lay yeah. population to go, which means it has to be so miserable that you're willing to risk for the lay people, because let's be honest, a lot of the rich guys aren't going to risk their life. The, the lay people are going to have to be willing to lay down their lives. And the rich people that have the wealth, resources, power, structure, networks, communication are going to have to w- roll the dice and realize in the new regime, they may not have power anymore. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so. So I want to offer a different way as an anti-revolutionary here that. Ben, you have one way. I have another way. Now I can say, go jump in a lake. I want it all my way but then I can't collaborate with you. Mm -hmm. We can't build wealth together. So anywhere you cut the pie between your idea and my idea is going to be better than only your idea and my idea. Now, I may be happy, unhappy, because it was cut maybe a little bit more in your favor. But a pragmatic look says any kind of compromise here is actually better than the destitution of everything falling apart. Yeah, so what I'm I'm trying to take what you were saying there about our societies and nation states and whatnot and apply it to organizations. So what if I'm taking away, you, you correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, you know, what I'm taking away there from your ideas is that uh we need to have balance. We need to have a uh, enough bureaucracy to get things done. We're risking a lot if we just decide to throw it all out, right? If we say this bureaucracy is not working, so we're gonna, you know, completely change the rules of the game. And having some bureaucracy is helpful for human organizing. Right. And this goes straight to our Constitution. And let me just read a couple of the first sentences here. So we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union. Now, I love that phrase. It's not to create the perfect bureaucracy. Anything short of that, we've failed and we should just all go home and cry into our pillows. No, they're like, hey, this is a journey. There's the now of where we are right now. And there's the not yet of where we're trying to go. So in order to form a more perfect union, and why? So we can establish justice. And the second one, I love to ensure domestic tranquility and even tranquility within our organization, right? These are the kinds of things. Promote the general welfare. Now, general welfare doesn't mean I take everything and Ben is hosed, right? Mm -hmm. Right, right. So... I think the idea here, if you're thinking about good bureaucracy, is that you are trying to create enough structure, enough administration to guide people's action, because extreme ambiguity isn't helpful for anyone in an organization. When you, you know, people like to have some sense of stability. We like to have some sense of the rules of the game. What are we trying to do here? How can I contribute? Uh, when you have an organization absent all of those things, it can be very, very stressful, and it can be tough to get things done. This is, you know, startups have this whole um, phase that they go through where they're trying to wrestle with these things, where everybody's doing everything. They're having to really try to initiate some sort of structure. That structure may emerge and kind of morph as they grow. At some point, they have to become more professionalized, and they have to have some more structures to really function at any kind of scale. Um, So most organizations have to have this. Um, You know, a great bureaucracy does this well. They help people know what the rules of the game are, are, and they have fair rules of the game that apply to everyone. If you don't have that, right, then you go back to the the all-powerful king or queen who just kind of appoints his or her, um, you know, relatives and things to different positions of power. That's not what we want. You want to have some structure and rules to make things work well. Um, Now, of course, taking that to extremes isn't helpful. It certainly can make change difficult, but having that minimal minimum viable bureaucracy, I think, is, is a good tone to strike. Yeah, and people don't like the word, but they do it. I don't care how avant-garde <laughs> your startup is. One of the first people uh, that gets hired after the cohort happens is like a payroll person. Right. Now, do you want ambiguity or some, or some in your of, pay? Yeah. Or like pay? an accountant type, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, they get a bookkeeper, right? Yep. Because they got to pay their bills. They, you know, they don't want to lose track. But Ben, do you want ambiguity in your pay? <laughs> your, <laughs> your wife really. comes and is like, 
well, how much are we making this month? I don't know. <laughs> Let's log in and find out. That's the worst. You want no ambiguity and some items there, right? And, and the thing is, is hierarchy and division of labor is helpful. It can right? be. Yeah. Some, sometimes people, so sometimes people self-organize into ways that are garbage, <laughs> right? And w- there's some countries that, uh, you know, are ruled by despots that self-organization allowed people to play well, the power and not games. Even, not, and, not even just countries, but just there are some organizations, organizations, right? There are some organizations that say, you know what? We're going to empower a bunch of these teams to be self-directed teams, and they provide no kind of context or guidance to those people involved. And some of those teams might get it right. Some might get it really, really wrong. And that's that's this idea that, you know, <laughs> just leaving everything to chance and, and self-organization isn't necessarily the best way to go, although there can be some value in that. You know, I, I think good bureaucracies, talking about kind of what a good bureaucracy looks like, I think is one that ha- has enough division of labor and specificity around roles and responsibilities so that people can know how to flourish. <laughs> this is how I know how I can succeed in this role. Um, however, you also, as a good bureaucracy, need to maintain a willingness to change. Um, bureaucracies earn their bad rap when they become so ossified in the way that they operate that they can't change, right? So have a have a good process for changing your bureaucracy. If you, um, you know, in order to, to kind of stay in touch with your external environment and to, uh, to, to be flexible in that manner. And this is why there's got to be hierarchies. Now, sometimes that hierarchy comes from a political body. Maybe Congress makes a mandate, like for the IRS or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we start to professionalize our organizations, we say, you know what, we're going to have kind of a skunk works team. And, you know, that was a phrase that was coined, you know, some time ago about a team that got to be totally creative and maybe outside the bureaucracy to create some friction. Right. But there's got to be somebody saying, hmm, the way we're set up to efficiently do things and the way we use power isn't built to suit for the environment we find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. Right. And so how might we change? You know, those are the kinds of things that happen. But in bureaucracy, people develop deep, deep, deep expertise in a way. If you are changing your role and job all the time, you won't necessarily be able to do it. So bureaucracy is involved. First, I want to say bureaucracy is in every organization. If you have an HR department, that's a piece of bureaucracy. And they need to follow the rules, the laws of the land and all that stuff. So you don't get your pants suit off, you know, for being <laughs> too anti-bureaucratic, right? Um, you know, these are the kinds of things that you just got to curate it. And that, I love that term curation because you need to use your power to develop those systems and make sure that they respond to the environment at hand. Right. And, and there even can be creativity and innovation within bureaucracy. So oftentimes, you know, when people write about the the ills of bureaucracy and how it's terrible, they oftentimes do so in a way to suggest that if you want to be creative, you want to be innovative as an organization, you have to eliminate all bureaucracy. Uh, That's not necessarily the case. And I think you and I have both seen, and I I think the literature would would support us in this, that, you know, in a rule-based environment, which a bureaucracy certainly has, you know, elements of that, um, there are constraints and restraints. There are things that you can do, some things that you can't do within that organization. Um, but what this can do for individuals who want to make change is it allows them to focus their creativity on where they can make that change, right? So actually not having so many options for what you could do to improve something Sometimes it could be actually a really interesting catalyst for creativity because it's like, well, we can't change X, Y, or Z, but we can change A, B, and C. Let's focus there and let's make that the best that we can. Um, and that can be, it actually can can be motivating because it doesn't have, you don't have all these different choices about what's possible. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, playing within the sandbox and being mm-hmm. creative around certain, because let's be honest, there is no place without constraints. Right. None. So they may be, you know, Oh, over here, this environment's a little less annoying for me. Well, that's good. You know, if you can change your environment, that's fine. But, you know, one of the big constraints that everybody faces is business law or contract law, right? You sign a contract, you got to perform, you know, these kinds of things. Well, guess what? It's bureaucracy. There is no world or organizing 
without some of these items. And one way that that's helpful is it also provides some common expectations for the way this, that things get done. Um, and that can actually help organizations work together and help us all function in a similar environment. You know, bureaucracy is also helpful at certain stages in the life cycle of any organization. So, you know, one way to look at organizations is, you know, there's the the uh, kind of infant organization, the nascent organization that is just starting up. And there's, you know, it, it, there's not much structure. They're just trying to get their ideas together, all, the, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then there's, you know, ideally, if things are going well, a period of rapid growth. Now, during that rapid growth, as you start to grow in size of numbers of people, um, in terms of what the organization does, you have to start standardizing things. You have to, and this, this oftentimes can be very, be very painful for entrepreneur founders, but they have to get some professional management in there to make things work well. And when you're at that maturity level in a mature organization, particularly if it's a mature organization in a mature industry, you need to have some bureaucracy. You have to have some standardization around how you get things done, some good processes. And this can make you very efficient and very productive. Um, as long as you also introduce into your bureaucracy good processes for changing things if necessary. Yeah, so two examples of this. Owner, entrepreneur, founders doing the work, doing the work, doing the work, doing the work, getting a lot of orders now because his work's good and he's getting a name for himself, right? Or herself. And first person he hires, right? It's the bookkeeper. Why? Let's get this bureaucracy off my lap so I can keep doing the work, doing the work, doing the work, <laughs> right? And then now they get more orders. There's no way. You know, he has a bookkeeper and himself, so he hires somebody else to do the work. So he sits, shows the guy, make sure he can do the work. But then he gets his first quality complaint. Mm. And he's like, uh-oh, why doesn't this guy that I hired care about it as much as me? Well, he doesn't get benefit of the. He gets a salary. You own the business, buddy. Hmm, maybe I need to have quality checks. And, and it's annoying because actually that entrepreneur founder doesn't want to fill the shoes of CEO. They just want to do the work. And that's okay. Um, but... You So what'll happen is you get a, more orders than you can get. You hire somebody, quality goes down, the amount of orders you drop. So you either evolve your systems and your process and yourself, or the market will do it for you, right? Mm -hmm. So bureaucracy, and that's why I like the idea of minimal viable bureaucracy, because if you sense your environment and then respond with the least amount that meets those quality concerns, you're going to do well. All right, second piece restaurant. I think all of us have gone to a restaurant. Where we're like, oh my gosh, this was amazing. What a great experience. And then you bring, you tell your friends you're like, dude, we got to go to this restaurant. And then you go and the service is bad and the food is subpar. Mm. Have, have you ever had an experience like that, Ben? Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're jarred. You're like, what? How what could this, what? <laughs> and you're so disappointed. You're crushing it because you've had an in uh, an inconsistent experience of quality. And you know what fixes that? And this is why people lose Michelin stars. Because, you know, one of the ratings that they do for the Michelin star at restaurants is, is we know the food's banging. But mm -hmm. is it consistently banging mm -hmm. night after night? They go there on different nights, random. They don't tell anybody who they are, that kind of thing. You know, that kind of bureaucracy allows consistency, which brings customer delight, one, but it also brings employee delight in how you do your performance reviews and how you promote and you know fire people, those kinds of things. So it delights external people. So am I saying bureaucracy is a delight? Yeah, if it's done right, <laughs> I sure am. If it's done right. You know, it's funny you were mentioning the restaurant consistency piece. Um, you see the same dynamic in brewing, right? So people who brew beer, if it's a little brewer and then they have a hit, type of uh type of beer cool springs brewery in nashville tennessee yeah. down at, at cool springs mall yeah they had yeah. a hit I... we drank them out of that entire vat <laughs> and then we came back for more of this beer that has an impolite name i can't say on in public here and it was horrible yeah so but what i but my point is that it, once you have that hit then you have to start really professionalizing and con consistently delivering this this experience, right? So organizations need to see some value in bureaucracy. Is it going to cure everything? Can it be terrible? You know, 
Okay, I got I got that. But let's talk about some implications now for people, leaders, and organizations. When we're thinking about bureaucracy, we're thinking about how much structure to have or to not have in our organizations. Let's start with with people, right? I think you know the first thing I, I would like to or I think of is just as an individual contributor, know what you're getting into, right? Organizations can really differ in terms of the level of bureaucracy and the the culture that comes along with that. So learning that system is a good thing. Figure it out, right? Yeah, if you go into a large, old, moribund, non-creative, back-in-the-backwoods state agency, Mm -hmm. just know there might not be a whole lot of appetite for change. You might (laughs) have to just be like, you know what? This is close to my kid's daycare. And I just want to take a break from the big corporate, and I'm just going to be okay with that. Or maybe you're at a legacy, big Fortune 500 organization that might have some parts of it that way. Just shrug your shoulders and just, you know, accept the change that you can make or, you know, whatever that phrase is. Well, and at the same time, you can really learn the system. If you are in a bureaucracy, you know, say it's a government organization um, or or just a, a large corporation that has some fairly well-established rules and policies and procedures, if you learn those policies and procedures and you learn them well, you can actually make change. Because, I mean, it's not like evil people necessarily came up with these rules in the first place. They existed for a reason. And um, if you really that know That reason them, may be long gone, it, it like many be. generations ago. It might be, or it was a reason that was forgotten yet still relevant. And we'll get to that in a few minutes. But um, if you learn the rules for how change happens, you can actually do things. And I see this in university systems frequently where you know somebody who really knows how faculty governance works, that's what we call it, you know, where we get together and- Herding cats. And yeah. So <laughs> if they really know how that works or really know how different changes happen and different you know matters of process and so forth, they can actually get things done uh, much faster because they know the system. So learn your system, whatever it is for how you want to make change happen. Don't assume that change happens the same way in every single organization because bureaucracy can differ among organizational types. Right. So th- let's move to leaders. So leaders- You've been around in that bureaucracy probably Mm -hmm. for a while. You need to mentor the talent that are on your team on how to navigate the different power structures, the crazy rules. You know, Ben, like we're both in the military. It's like, hey, did you get that form filled out in triplicate? And you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, my oh, my gosh, what what is this? Or, you know, a lot. There's still parts of the organization. I remember having to fax stuff to TRICARE. They only (laughs) accept a fax. And you're like. Who even owns a fax with a landline anymore? You got to go down to Kinko's or whatever to fax something, right? So, but mentor your people on your team and other people around you on how to navigate these things, even the baloney that doesn't make sense. And I think that also applies if your organization, your bureaucracy hires an outsider, someone who's outside of that bureaucracy and maybe doesn't have as much familiarity with it. If they come into your organization, let's say this is your boss or your boss's boss, Try to help them get an A, right? Give them some, give them a chance, and don't let them just run into um, roadblocks everywhere. Try to help them navigate these types of issues as well, because it may be something that's not as visible to them. Unless they eat funyuns at the cubicle, then yeah, just let them just run allowed. into a wall. Yeah, yeah that's, that's never allowed. <laughs> I, actually, I actually love funyuns, and then somebody in high school told me it's like, "Hey, Chris." Don't please don't bring Funyuns <laughs> to school again. It's kind of okay. like, kind of like bringing leftover fish to warm up in the microwave in the break room. You probably don't want to do that as much as you want that salmon from last night. Just don't do that in the workplace. Um, so you know another point I think you can you can uh, we can give to leaders here when it comes to bureaucracy is just because you're in a large bureaucracy that has a lot of rules and procedures and stuff doesn't mean you can't humanize the workplace. You know, these are still real people with real lives and real emotions, and you can still have fun in a bureaucracy. I've worked in, you know, you and I have been around the military for quite a while, and I mean, you can still have a ton of fun. Um, And I've seen, you know, I've been around civilians that have worked in government and so forth. You know what? Um, Some of them, you know, maybe don't don't like their jobs so much, but that's true everywhere. A lot of them love their jobs. And some of these are the smartest people I've come across ever, and they really do enjoy what they're doing. So as a leader, I think you can still inject that humanity, a sense of humor, 
um, and just general human kindness that makes life better. Yeah. Yeah. One thing is just acknowledging, hey, I know this process totally stinks. It's, yeah. it's excessively long, but it's here because of this. And and hey, let's do it together. You know, those right. kinds of things. And, and be honest when there's a why for something and when there's not. You know, one of the things I had to do when we were in Afghanistan, so we we're on this base called Camp Eggers, which was very crowded, is I had to fight for parking passes for my vehicles. And I had to renew these parking <laughs> passes or you'd have to go because we drive the generals around and the general would be, well, where, where's my up-armored Suburban? Um, about that, you know, I forgot to renew our parking pass. Do you think you could write <laughs> us a get out of jail card, please? You know, like, and you're just, how, here you think I'm deployed to Afghanistan as a U.S. soldier and I got to fight for parking passes. It really wasn't my fantasy about what a deployment might look like. <laughs> right. But what's funny is they had to institute that bureaucracy there for a reason. Because they, people they, are parking their cars exactly, all over. Exactly, because the ah. space, space was limited and they had to try to keep it organized. So, you know, yes, you you did fail to get your thing renewed. But, um, you know, I think another piece I didn't here, fail after that first one, though. I tell you what. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then, then you had that on. Yeah, you always remembered. Um, you know, I think it's also important to be honest, and this is both at the individual level and at the leader level, you know, knowing your organization and knowing kind of, quote unquote, what hills you're willing to die on is also helpful, right? Just knowing kind of which which roads are worth going down, which are not worth going down. Yeah, you know, so one of the things he brought up when we were prepping for this episode is Chesterton's fence. Yeah. Right. Which I had not, you know, I knew who GK Chesterton was. And if you guys don't go Google GK Chesterton, it'll be a wonderful time spent reading the yeah. kind of stuff he put out. But I had not heard of Chesterton's fence. Yeah. So the idea of Chesterton's fence is a good one. And I'll, I'll just quote what GK Chesterton said about this fence. And, and this is how it goes. And I quote, there exists in such a case a certain institution or law, let us say, for the sake of simplicity, a fence or a gate erected across a road. The more modern type of reformer goes gaily up to it and says, I don't see the use of this, let us clear it away. To which the more intelligent type of reformer will do well to answer, if you don't see the use of it, I certainly won't let you clear it away. Go away and think. Then when you come back and tell me that you do see the use of it, I may allow you to destroy it. Right? So it's this idea that just because a rule exists in an organization or because something was done a certain way um, that you don't immediately know the reason for doesn't mean you should necessarily just abolish it, right? You still should be thoughtful about why things are done a certain way. And then once you understand that, then go about trying to change it. Um, just because something doesn't make sense to you immediately doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong. Yeah. And this is the idea of process improvement. Process improvement should be a part of every bureaucracy. Right. Right. So it's the idea. And I get it. It's stuff is frustrating. And you get to the point of it's like, I just want to burn this all down. You're like Milton from Office Space with a stapler. You know, <laughs> I mean, to burn this place down. Right. You know, <laughs> yes, that's a very human thing to feel. Feel that way. And then like G.K. Chesterton says, go think about it. Don't take your ball and go home. And, you know, just, you know, I'm taking, I'm out of here. Right. Uh, improve, improve, improve. So, and now we're moving down to the organizational le level, right? Yeah. You must make sure that your bureaucracy is flexible and resilient and will keep in the good and allowing the bad to just pass out. And to that brewing example you used, mm -hmm. right? You want to brew up quality and delight, both for your external stakeholders, the customers you use, but brew it up for the people that work there, Dad. Gosh darn it, you know? That's right. <laughs> That's right. And I think just being honest about that needing to balance order and chaos is important in an organization, just in terms of how you frame uh, the institution of certain processes and rules. Um, making sure that you are trying to inject humanity and taking into account how people respond to, for example, your application process for jobs, for example, maybe some sort of process you have within the organization. Um, and, you know, being innovative as an organization doesn't necessarily mean, and I think oftentimes doesn't necessarily mean that you have to blow everything up. 
In fact, you probably need some structure. Incremental change does have value. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that HR stuff up. So HR, you're one of the most bureaucratic parts of an organization. Yeah. From where people have to go put in, their, they, they submit the resume, but then they have to populate everything. And it's like, why are you asking me where I went to high school? I just told you on my resume, you know? That's <laughs> confusing for people that don't know the behind the scenes kind of stuff. Are you brewing up delight with your applicants, right? Are you brewing up delight for how you do your annual process reviews or how, you know, you've got to make certain legal changes as you grow to certain size organizations. These are things that it takes. This isn't for the faint of heart and it's not for the stupid, right? You're going to have to be really smart and how you work with people and redesigning the new bureaucracy that might replace the older bureaucracy that's not working so well. Right. And I think along with the structures of bureaucracy, sometimes and oftentimes can come certain cultural norms. One of the more damaging ones is the culture of no, where we can't do anything different. We can't change something. We can't think in a different way. And you have to fight that in a bureaucracy. You do need to have a bureaucracy that has enough structure and enough policies, procedures, and other types of structures to help you actually function, but you need to have the cultural norms that allow you to be flexible and ones that encourage innovative conversation instead of shutting it down. Yes, curate that kind of conversation. I'm sorry, Dave. It seems to me like you're saying no. No, why? No, because of status quo. No, because of this. And change it. I like a phrase, Ben, and you've heard me use this, that, that comes out of design thinking called how might we? Mm -hmm. No. Okay. How might we make a change keeping that constraint in mind? How might we pilot something before we roll it out to the whole organization? And, you know, to go back to that Zootopia reference, right? You know, where the sloths are moving so slow at the DMV. <laughs> if you stick around, I think it's after the credits. They show the police uh, bunny or whatever pulls over a speeding car and the tinted glass rolls down. And look, it was that bureaucratic sloth speeding. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great, great clip. So today on the Indigo podcast, we tried to tackle this idea of bureaucracy. And we talked about what it is and why it sometimes has this negative connotation. We talked about what a good bureaucracy might look like. And of course, we added some implications for people, leaders, and organizations. Thanks for listening to the Indigo podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.